Well, good morning, East Point. My name is Dustin. I'm new here. Uh, and hey. Well, if you welcome all the new visitors that way, that will be pretty great. So thank you. <laughs> so uh, when about 15 years ago, I was a single guy finishing off seminary at Lincoln Christian University, uh, and I was helping to uh, TA a class. We had a professor coming in from Las Vegas, and I was supposed to help her with some personality profiles. And so as a part of this, uh, in the class, in the midst of the class, she was talking about the different personality profiles, and she mentioned the fact that um, somebody asked, do you ever use these for premarital counseling? And she said, yeah, matter of fact, there was this gal who was in Vegas. She's a single gal, good, solid Christian gal, dating this good, solid Christian guy, but they just weren't getting along very well. And so she came and talked to me, and I put her through these personality profiles, and uh, the professor said, and I came back and told her, Kristen, you guys just aren't that compatible. And then in front of the class, she said, uh, and to her credit, she dumped the guy. Everybody kind of laughed, but then she looked at me as the teacher's assistant in the room. She said, but Dustin, she'd be perfect for you. <laughs> and I tried to move the class along at that point in time, but after class, I said, so what, what's going on there, Lisa? What, what was the deal with that? And she said, well, she's a six-foot-tall, good-looking girl from central Illinois originally who's out in Vegas, a part of our church, practicing physical therapy, uh, and uh, I think she'd go home for the right reason. And I thought... Okay, so we did this junior high game where we exchanged pictures back and forth, and of course I got the best picture of me that I could, which is pre-Photoshop days, so it was a little more difficult. Uh, and then I got this picture from Kristen, uh, that is of her playing the, yeah, I know, exactly, right? Um, I had to move the drool marks off of that picture before we scanned it in. I was back in the, uh, yeah, uh, and, and so she was playing uh, at the Bellagio Hotel, actually, uh, for a work function, and um, I love, I love, I love that picture because it says so much about who she is and just her smile and everything else. So that was January of 2005. We talked on the phone for the first time, uh, and we talked for three hours on the phone. Actually, the night before she called me, uh, but I couldn't hear her because she was at the motocross on ice, and all I could hear was motorcycles in the background, which pretty much told me right there I was going to marry her. Um, <laughs> But the next day, we talked for three hours on the phone. At the end of the conversation, I said, hey, I'm not really up for a long-term, long-distance relationship. If this happens between you and me, it's going to happen quick. Are you okay with that? And she said, I think so. And so we kept talking throughout the month of January. In February, she flew out to Illinois to visit her parents, and I met her for the first time. And then throughout the month of March, we flew back and forth. More than any preacher should fly to Vegas in one month, I must say. Um, but the gamble that I was putting my life on wasn't having anything to do with slot machines or blackjack. Uh, and so in April, I flew out to Las Vegas and surprised her, proposed to her. She did not say yes. She said, of course I will. Uh, which is good enough for me. She sold her house in May, moved back that July, and then we prepared for the wedding and got married that October. Somewhere in the midst of that, as soon as she moved back, God laid on both of our hearts that we were going to be undergoing another transition together as we started a new ministry together, which we moved to the following summer. Is your mind spinning with all that transition that just happened in the midst of that? 
Transition, even when it's joyful, like it was for Kristen and I, is also very stressful. Amen? And in the midst of that time of transition, we came across this quote from a gal named Marilyn Ferguson. And this is just, man, this has been one of those quotes that we hang on to. It says, it's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being between trapezes. It's Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. There's just nothing to hold on to. You've been there before, haven't you? It's not just Linus when his blanket's in the dryer. It feels like the the dryer ate that blanket and you can't find it sometimes. There's just nothing to hold on to. I don't know of a single person in life who looks forward to transitions, except for one person. I believe that God looks forward to the transitions in our lives. Do you know why? Because it's when we're in between trapezes, when we're up in the air with nothing to hold on to, that God knows that we are vulnerable to His love. That we are vulnerable towards His trust in a way that we wouldn't ordinarily be. And so as I begin my ministry here at East Point, I want to share this series with you that we're simply calling Between Trapezes, because my guess is is that 2020 feels like you are between trapezes right now. There's nothing to hold on to. Some of you, a part of the whole idea of being between trapezes is that at some point you've got to let go of one trapeze and take hold of the next. Have you ever seen a trapeze where they don't let go of the other one before they take hold of the next? I mean, like Inspector Gadget might have been able to do that with his go-go gadget arms. That's not a trapeze, that's monkey bars, right? God doesn't call us to a life of monkey bars where we can hang on from one to the next. He He calls us to a life of trapezes where we have to let go before we take hold of what's next. And some of you might not even had a choice of what you had to let go of last, It felt like your hands were peeled away from it, kicking and screaming. But nevertheless, you find yourself between trapezes with nothing to hold on to. And so as we begin this series, I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to pray here in just a second as we begin. The sermon's not over, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you if you would just lay your hands open in your lap, or maybe you want to just hold your hands in the air open, not holding on because we're in between trapezes right now. And let me pray for us as we begin this series where we talk about transitions and how God is faithful through them. Father, we do not like being up in the air with nothing to hold on to. We don't like the in-between, and yet we recognize that is where you do some of your greatest work. And so, Lord, over the course of the next month, as we look at what it's like to be between trapezes, we pray, Lord, that you would shape our hearts towards you. Help us to trust like we've never trusted before. And God, even when we're up in the air like we are right now, we pray that even if we don't have a hold of anything, we pray that we would be reminded that there's never been a time where you have ever let go of us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, one of my favorite stories to tell my kids is the one where Jesus calms the storm. 
But the way we used to tell it, we used to have a trampoline at our house back before it did what all trampolines do and get frayed around the edges to the point where it's not safe or less safe than it was before, as if there's such a thing as a safe trampoline. But what the kids would do whenever they knew that I was going to tell the story of, of the, uh, the Jesus calm in the storm, because the best stories aren't told once, are they? They're told over and over again, is they would sit down, Daddy, tell us the story about the, about the storm again. And so they'd sit down there, and they'd act like Jesus being asleep in the boat. And they'd be laying down on the trampoline, and I'd start to tell the story. And then the waves started going. And, and if, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm a little bit of a bigger guy, and so a trampoline really has a good effect. And before long, I'm jumping up and down, and the kids are acting like they're asleep, getting tossed around like popcorn and getting concussed and everything else. And uh, as, as we're doing that, then finally, we wake Jesus up. The kids are Jesus asleep in the boat. Don't you care that we're going to drown? And the kids wake up and they yawn. And then when it gets time, and Jesus tells the storm and they yell out, Hush! And it's this great, powerful story that hopefully it seeks into their lives that this is what they're going to be going through someday. Because you know how it is as kids. Everything seems to work out okay. Even the big worries in life. You're like, hey, you know, mommy and daddy will carry us through or whatever else. But man, this story is so important to our lives. And while it's my favorite story because my kids like it, there's another reason that I'll get to in a few minutes why it's one of my favorite stories. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matt, excuse me, Mark, second gospel, not the first, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and we're going to take a look at this story today about Jesus calming the storm, but I'm going to give you some suggestions about what's really going on here, and hopefully you'll see that this just isn't about the disciples getting in a tough place and needing Jesus to bail them out, okay? Here's what it says. On that day when evening had come, he, meaning Jesus, told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. Now it doesn't seem like much is going on here yet, but I want to tell you something behind the scenes that is happening. Two things. First, it says they left the crowd. In the Gospels, there's this continual uh, tension between the crowds and the disciples. The crowds show up for the teachings. They show up for the free food. But then, oftentimes, they wander away. Whereas the disciples are there in the thick of it all, learning and growing deeper. And we, as we read the Gospels, what we have to ask ourselves, am I just a part of the crowd, or am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I just here for the free stuff, or am I here to learn more about Jesus and to really grow in who he is? The second thing that we have to recognize is that a lot of the disciples were fishermen. This was their backyard. This was the sea, really a lake, the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, same thing. This is what they knew better than anything else in the world. For you, this is your job. This is your home. Jesus shows up in the midst of what you know best, where you're comfortable and makes you extremely uncomfortable in the midst of it all. Do you think that maybe Jesus might be doing that in your life today? Showing up in the midst of where you're most comfortable and rocking your boat. So it says... I ask you today, where does Jesus want to rock you out of your comfort? 
I promise you, if you pray that prayer, God will answer it. He might not answer it audibly. You just might show up and your job looks different. Your home looks different. Things change. Where does Jesus want to rock you out of your comforts? Because oftentimes it's where we're most comfortable, where we can get most disconnected from God, and yet God can speak to us in the midst of that and shake us back to normal, to the new normal. So in verse 37, a great windstorm arose. And this is where, if it was not COVID going on on the trampoline, I'd be in the midst of this story. And the waves were breaking. And this is where I'd be jumping up and down and the kids are flopping all around, okay? The waves were breaking over the boat. This is bad news. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat where this is happening before, but this is not somewhere you want to be. They didn't exactly have pumps back then to get the water out. You had buckets or hands. And so that the boat was already being swamped. Jesus was in the stern. You see what he's doing here? Jesus is in a stern with a bucket, bailing because he's scared. No. Jesus is in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. How do you sleep on a soggy cushion? Have you ever tried that before? That doesn't work very well unless you're like on, a, on an island somewhere, on like a beach, you know, on vacation. Then maybe you can get away with it. But here in the midst of the storm, and, and I often wonder if like Jesus is kind of like going, uh, going a little bit uh, inner sandman here, sleeping with one eye open, you know, watching the disciples' reaction, if that's really what's going on. But I think that this shows that the, the humanity of Jesus before we see the divinity of Jesus a little later on in the story. That Jesus as a human being was able to trust his earthly father even in the midst of the storm. That he wasn't worried about this storm taking his life. He was just worried about getting some more sleep. Isn't that amazing? And this speaks to me because in, in the midst of the move and everything else that we've been having, even though our house sold literally in minutes in a neighborhood where things are taking about a month to sell, even though all that's happening, even though we've seen God's hand of provision through answer prayer time and time and time again, I have lost sleep at least every night, if not multiple times every night in the midst of this move. And this story speaks to me and tells me that I need to learn to trust God the way that Jesus trusted God. If Jesus could trust God in the midst of the storm and get a good night's sleep, then I need to learn how to sleep better by trusting in God. What's your sleep tell you about your trust level? So here's what happens, and I love this right here. He was in the stern sleeping on the cushion, so they, meaning the disciples, woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that you're going to drown? Excuse me, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care? <laughs> and, I, and I love this because this is our response too. Because the disciples had both a logical and an emotional response to this crisis, didn't they? Logically, as fishermen, they looked out and said, this isn't good, fellas. This is a big storm. There's water coming in the boat. And then all of a sudden, that emotion got turned towards God. Don't you care? that we're going to drown. Do you know it's okay to pray that way? It's okay to voice those concerns and those feelings before God. 
It really is. The moral of this story is not, hey, don't tell God that he doesn't care about you. If we read the laments and the Psalms, what we see over and over is that's exactly what they do. They tell Jesus exactly what they're feeling. They tell God, excuse me, Yahweh, exactly what they're feeling. Listen to what Jesus does. It says, he got up on the trampoline version of this. He got up, meaning the kids get up and, uh, can you imagine Jesus standing up in the middle of the boat, yawning, kind of looking around, getting his bearings and, oh yeah, okay, you guys need some help. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, silence, or in our version of the story, hush, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. End of story, right? Jesus calms the storm. But it's not the end of the story. Listen to what happens next, because after he rebukes the storm, he rebukes the disciples. It says, then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith. You know, in Matthew's version of the story, he actually rebukes the disciples before he rebukes the storm. <laughs> Can you picture that? Jesus in the middle of the storm, standing there in the rocking boat. Why are you so afraid? Whether it's before the storm, while the storm is still going on in your life, or after he's already calmed the storm, Jesus speaks to us and rebukes us as well. Here's my question for you, because my guess is there's been a storm in your life that you've been praying God to calm. Here's my question. You've been praying for God to rebuke the storm, but have you been praying that he would rebuke your lack of faith? Because that's not something I like to do. But if I read this story right, what we need to do in the midst of the storm is not only pray that the storm would be calmed, but that God would calm the storm in us. That God would help us to understand through the midst of the storm that He's really the one that's in control. Because if God rebukes the storm, but doesn't rebuke you, then what has really happened? Nothing. Nothing. And here's the, here's the whole point when we get down to this, is that earlier on, Jesus was doing some miracles, and then right before this story and Mark, He was not only doing some miracles, but He was also doing some teaching. And up to this point, the disciples thought, this is a miracle worker, He's a great teacher. But after this encounter in the Scriptures, they went from thinking He was just a good teacher, a miracle worker, to thinking that maybe this man is God's Son. And here's the question I want to ask you. Have you moved past the point of Jesus just being a good moral teacher? Have you moved past the point of Jesus just being someone who helps you get through the storm? Because listen to how the disciples respond. Because the reality is, is while Jesus calmed the storm that they were in, there was a greater storm at work in their hearts. Listen to what it says. Verse 41, and they were, what's the scripture say there? Terrified. Why? Because the storm was still going on? No. They were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. 
What if God wants to calm the storm in your life by causing an even greater storm? A storm that upends your life and recenters, him, and recenters you on Him instead of what it is you're focusing on right now. What if in calming the storm, God starts a greater storm in your hearts? Are you open to that? This is our favorite part of the story right here because when I say, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey Him? The kids say, this is God's Son. It was an admonition that the disciples weren't ready to make yet, but they made over the next several chapters. And wherever you're at in that journey, whether it be one where you need to make that confession for the first time or you need to continue to confess that truth every day that Jesus is God's Son, the truth is the storm can bring it out of us. Jesus has you in a storm because He loves you. And He knows exactly what it's going to take to reveal more of Himself to you so that you can trust Him. Here's why this is my favorite story. When I was eight years old, my parents went through a period of time where they were seriously considering divorce. My grandma had died. She was the center of faith in our household. My parents did not go to church. They did not walk with God. They had a belief in God that was generic. They went to one counselor who told them, you guys are young enough, you should just get divorced and start over while you're young. Which sounds like horrible advice coming from a counselor, but my parents were so stubborn, it was what they needed to hear because then they just said, we're not getting divorced. And they kept looking and kept looking and kept looking. Finally, um, since I was a cute little guy, I was asked to be in a wedding at a church and be the, what do they call it, the, the ring bearer or whatever else and lose the rings and all that good stuff. Um, they decided that, hey, that church that Dustin was in the wedding at, why don't we go check it out? They went and checked it out. On the way out, the preacher shook their hand and said, if you guys ever need anything, you guys come and talk to me, okay? If you need anything, we're here for you. As they're walking out the door, my mom speaks silently to my father. And she pauses and looks at him. And he says, you're right, we need to go ask for help. They went back and talked to the preacher, and the preacher said, there's another preacher on staff here named Charlie Lee, and he's really good at counseling. They went and met with Charlie Lee. Charlie Lee helped them see not only their need for changes in their marriage in the midst of the storm, but he helped them to see the one who could calm the storm. Not only was their marriage saved, but as a result, my mom and dad both got baptized. My sister got baptized. A few months later, I got baptized. And then about nine months after that, my little brother was born. Because you've got to have a celebration, baby, when God changes your life. <laughs> In the midst of all of that, the church surrounded my family and welcomed us in. The church helped my family to see the need to recenter our lives on Christ. It wasn't about fixing their marriage. It was about recentering about Christ. It wasn't about the storm. It was about the one who can calm the storm. And so within a few, uh, within a, about a year, my dad was actually asked to be Jesus in the Easter musicals. 
going from someone not even in the church to portraying Jesus in about a year. And through those musicals, my daddy showed me Jesus. Some people say, were you a preacher's kid? I said, no, I was Jesus' kid. You know, I was <laughs> trying living up to that. But when I was about nine years old, I don't even remember it. But my mom remembers it, and another lady in the church named Martha Cook remembers it, and two people are enough witnesses to stone somebody in the Old Testament, so it's enough to convict me as well. But when I was nine, I told my mom and Martha Cook one day that when I grow up, I want to be a preacher like Charlie Lee. Told her I want to be a second baseman like Ryan Sandberg and play for the Cubs. She didn't pray for that. Could have been retired by now with a World Series championship ring from 2016 as well, but no. She prayed that I'd be a preacher like Charlie Lee. And so I stand before you today as someone whose family, the storm that we were in was calmed by Jesus, only to be, have our lives recentered around Jesus. And someone who has reaped the blessings of the results that my parents made to put Jesus at the center of their lives. And I ask you today, what if the decision you make to see Jesus in the midst of the storm and to call upon Him and to recenter your life around Him doesn't only affect your life, but it affects the life of your kids, your grandkids, whether your kids or your grandkids are even born yet. It affects the lives of your neighbors, of your friends, of your families for generation and generation to come. Will you choose during this storm to turn your attention to the Savior instead? Yesterday on my way through, uh, I was driving through, I was a little bit delayed because I had a good friend who died this past week. Um, David Hole was 54 years old. He had battled the last three years, an otherwise healthy guy, the last three years he had battled with cancer. And eventually, cancer took his life. I think God wanted me to be there yesterday to celebrate his life. And so, in Mason City, Illinois, in a church where everybody was masked, we celebrated a man and saw what a common, ordinary man named Dave Hole. The difference he made because he chose to make disciples who make disciples. Because he chose to invest in people's lives around him. He wasn't a preacher. He served as an elder for many years as a church. He drove a truck for several years. He was the vice president of sales for many more years. He was a common, ordinary man. He might as well have been a fisherman from Galilee. And yet, seeing the changes in people's lives where everybody who stood up and talked about him talked about the deep impact that he made in their lives. Said, you don't have to be a preacher, but you do need to put Jesus first. And seeing how Dave struggled through the storm and, and showed everybody through that time that you can trust in God in the midst of the storm, even unto death, just as Jesus did is a message that we all need to hear. Church, I don't know how much longer I've got. I'm 41, 42 here next month. Who is counting? I don't know how much longer you've got. 
in life, but I also don't know how much longer you've got with your family looking the way it looks. I also don't know how much longer you've got at your job, how much longer you've got in your house where you live. None of us know that. But what I do know is that I've never seen anyone who has turned their life to Jesus in the midst of the storm and given Jesus their all in response that's ever regretted it. And I've sat with hundreds of dying people, and I've never heard anybody say, I wish I would have went to more ball games. I wish I would have made more money. But I hear all the time, I wish I would have had a stronger faith. How you respond in the midst of the storm today, how you respond to the one who calms the storm makes all the difference. Don't just turn away from the storm. During this time of the storm, turn your attention to the Savior. He is here, and He will do so much more than calm the storm in your life. He will start a new one in your heart that when you look back at the end, I promise you will not regret it. Father, this is in the midst of this crazy year of everything that's happened in our country, in the midst of everything that's happened in East Point, in the midst of everything that's happened in my life, in the midst of everything that's been going on in the lives of the people in this room and watching online. Lord, we know that we can turn to you for so much more than calming the storm. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are, are dealing with struggles in their families, in their marriages, those who are struggling with sicknesses, whether it be in their lives or in the life of a loved one. God, we just pray that in the midst of this storm that we would see the Savior. That in the midst of everything being up in the air with nothing to hold on to, that we would remember that you have a hold of us right now. God, change our lives so that we can be world changers for you. When we encounter the one who calms the storm, may it be life-changing and not just moment or situation-changing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.